Hey there, welcome to episode 19 of the Conservatarian Podcast. I'm your host here, CJ Westfall. Uh, today we are having a early morning show with another special guest. Uh, this special guest is another uh, Liberty Movement star. He's worked in the past for other folks like Mark Sanford, um, and he has some great stances on some issues here. Uh, we got Jordan Pace running for South Carolina House District 117. How are you doing this morning, Jordan? Heck yeah, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, so I've taken a look at your campaign website, man. Everything looks fantastic. Um, you've, you've even brought some issues to my attention that I, I had no idea about. We talked a little bit before the show about um, holding these judges accountable, judi- a little bit of judicial reform. Uh, we'll get to a little bit of that, man. I thought that was very interesting. But I kind of want to start with what made you want to run in the first place. Um, so uh, primarily in... Um, kind of a number of issues in, in combination that, that, that were straws over the camel's back, so to speak. Right. The, the gas, the gas tax being one of them. You know, I fought that for two years uh, with a group that I worked for, and uh, when we when we ran out of money is when they passed the gas tax. Um, so that showed me that special interests, if they throw enough money at something and there's no opposition, then they usually get what they want, and that really ticks me off. Right. Um, the pension, that pension debacle, uh, was another one. You know, they so-called pension reform where they didn't reform anything and just chunked, you know, hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars at the problem and forced, um, local governments to basically raise taxes to contribute more to the pension system. Wow. Uh, raise property taxes, which we've already seen here and, uh, uh, Goose Creek raised theirs a couple months ago. Wow. Uh, and the mayor, the mayor specifically said we have to contribute more to the pension per employee. It was just not something we budgeted for uh, because the state house did, and yeah, our hands are kind of tied. Right. Uh, so that was one. Uh, I, I, we we have the highest tax burden in the South amongst all the states in the South. You know, other than Mississippi, we have the lowest income and the highest tax burden. Uh, the highest income tax. Um, down here, we got the highest personal business property tax in the country. Uh, so our, our property taxes by and large are lower than like the Northeast. Um, but if you look at our overall tax burden, particularly as a ratio of income, it's rough. Unless you're a big giant corporation like Boeing or Volvo or whoever, then you get massive tax breaks. Right. Um, I would prefer to see we all get massive tax breaks, like on an even playing field, mm-hmm. and that way we can have some homegrown businesses start up and provide some competition to bigger businesses and you know, competition breeds better products and lower prices and that's what I would prefer. Wow. Well, I, uh, I had no idea that we had that much of a tax burden here, man. I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah. Well, especially, you know, if you're, if you're making, making $40,000 a year, uh, then, you know, you, you'll get that fine. You're doing all right. But half the, half the state doesn't make that much. It was really the, the people that are you know, under that $38,000 a year mark to get hit the hardest with it, you know, because they raised the gas tax, which is a regressive tax. Right. Um, but a lot of Charleston County has like 11% tax on prepared foods because there's local option um, referendums that they do at non election times. Um, so if you're, you know, somebody struggling to get by, you pay way more taxes locally in state, you know, state level. Um, as a portion of your income than, than the wealthy people do. 
not a Republican Democrat thing because the Democrats support all this. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't I never understood what was so controversial about just letting people in the middle class keep more of their own money. I I never understood what was so controversial about that, and we've seen the effects from the the tax cut that President Trump and uh, Paul Ryan put forward um, at the end of December. We've seen the the growth from that. Um, So I'm just I guess I'm not from here, man. (laughs) I've only lived here three years. I just don't understand all these Republicans here voting for tax increases. I I have no idea. Is that kind of what what gave you the itch to want to run, seeing these Republicans, uh, these rhinos voting for for tax tax raises here? I don't don't, tax increases. Like I don't I don't get it. Yeah, I mean that that was a big part of it. Uh, In my mind, uh, Republicans should vote for lower taxes. Yeah, the ones that especially kind of be conservatives. Um, it's really a fundamental either uh, misunderstanding, un- uneducatedness, or uh, I-, I hope at least of how e- economics works. Um, yeah, especially you know, if you look at the average, not, it's not an age thing, but generationally, most of the folks in the, in the in the legislature are you know over fifty. So if they were taught anything about economics, it was straight up pure Keynesianism, mm-hmm. uh, which. Failed. Even Keynesians would say that you know original Keynesianism was wrong. They'd admit yeah, that, right? Proofs and Robert Reich and all those all those idiots. Uh, but that's the that's the economic mentality of the guys that are in there. So they think, uh, yeah, economy's not doing doing good. Throw money at it. Yeah, throw state money at it. Throw you know, all this stuff. And it's you know, so if you're if you're hungry, there same thing. If you're if, you, if somebody's hungry, just eat a dozen donuts. Yeah, that's their solution. Either dozen donuts every time you're hungry. And you you won't be hungry, but you're gonna get sick and fat and die. Right. It's so. kind of like the the that's I mean the basically the way I understand Keynesian versus like Austrian ec- economics, which I'm more of the school of thought in, would be we, we're the government, we're the Republicans, uh, we're gonna increase spending, but we're better at managing um, the the problems than the Democrats are. Is basically the only right. real difference is there. And um, yeah, man, uh, I, I just I've always believed that tax taxation theft. Uh, we just had tax day this week, and um, I'm I'm still compiling. I had to file an extension and um, for my business, and it's just annoying, man. I gotta I gotta pay I gotta pay <laughs> for my business, and um, it's just annoying. It's definitely annoying to have those taxes, and um, I, every middle class person, every person that any person um, that's listening to this. Um, should all be considering the guy that's running in their district that wants them to keep more of their own money. So I definitely understand where you're coming from there. Um, well, what's your current strategy to win? Um, it doesn't look like this guy ran um, very much opposed. I guess he ran unopposed last last go round, and he didn't get more than ten thousand votes. It looks like it was about eight thousand votes, and that was in an election year. Um, so I, I think the voter turnout probably isn't going to be too big. This November, which looks like it could be shaping up to be a good thing for you. Uh, what's your current strategy? What's your ground game looking like? Uh, how have people been on the doors? And um, what's your strategy to, to take the win home in the primary and, and in November? So, uh, the, the, the current incumbent has never actually had a, a contested primary. Oh my uh, so, you uh, won and, and he got him in a 2010 after he lost once or twice. And... Ever since then, he's just been right along, which is the case for most 
most house reps. Like they have a ninety, uh, about ninety-five percent re-election rate, and usually ninety percent of them don't have any opponents at all. Why? Why is so, that? The schedule is the is the is a big big reason why. Uh, you basically have to either be retired uh, or, or own your own business to be able to. Uh, to be in the legislature. They're in there from middle of January to middle of May, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, about half days on Tuesday and Thursday and all day on Wednesday, right in the middle of the week. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so that's why you see most folks up there retired or lawyers. Uh, There's a couple couple small business owners, but even those are actually shrinking. So one thing I would love to see, and we've had a little bit of push, we had a little bit of success on actually uh, a couple years ago, was that shortened the session. It used to be uh, to the middle of June, so the middle of May. Mm-hmm. But Texas and Virginia, uh, which are both much, much bigger states than South Carolina, mm-hmm. they they have a they alternate between thirty day and a sixty day session. And uh, the sixty day sessions is when they write the budget, so they have a biannual budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're up there for sixty days and thirty days. That's it. That's yeah. awesome. So that makes it so if, you know not everybody could run. But people that whose jobs are a little bit more flexible, not as completely flexible as somebody that owns their own business, right? Um, but some, you know, reasonably, somebody could probably get off, you know, four weeks, especially if they had an employer that cared about this kind of stuff too. They would let them, you know, go out there for a month, um, a year to go do, you know, do this kind of stuff. And and this isn't like compared to New Hampshire or you know, Guam, some little tiny, you know, territory. It's freaking Texas, man. Right. They're huge. Right. They'd be the 11th largest economy in the world if they were independent. So if they can take care of their stuff in 30 to 60 days, we can too. But the reason why they don't change it, one, is because it, will, it would mean more people would run against them. So it's an incumbent protection strategy. And two, is most of them like being up there. Because uh, I don't know if you've ever hung out, just you know, spent time in Columbia while they're in session. It, it's more reminiscent, almost of like a, almost like a fraternity. Yeah, they hang out together. Uh, they not vote here and there, but mostly they're you know you go to a reception at breakfast. Some some groups put on. You go to a reception at lunch. Some other groups put on. Uh, and usually at night on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, uh, there's some reception either on the Capitol grounds or at some you know, swanky hotel in Columbia. Mm-hmm. But another groups put on. You just go and eat and eat for free and hang out with your friends in the legislature, and it's a good time. And I you know, I don't necessarily fault them. Yeah, and uh, and and the the words that have been overused this election cycle here in in the South Carolina local elections that I've been hearing is um it's the good old boys right and 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 you know what I I don't have a problem if it's the good old boys that are cutting taxes and cutting regulation and sticking to conservative principles, um, but it, but it's the good old boys that are raising spending. It's the good old boys that are abstaining from votes um, when it comes to abortion and and gun rights and free market principles and. Um, so yeah, man, I've talked to a lot of, um, folks like yourself that come from the grassroots that are, have activist ties and, um, that are out there knocking on doors like yourself, um, that I think have a real shot at, uh, sending a message to Columbia. There's a lot, like I talked to, I'm sure, you know, Britain and Columbia. Um, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of good, good guys out there that I think that, that, that state establishment has to be, has to be nervous because if, you know, they're trying to protect their seats that they've run unopposed 
for for so long and um i feel like just trump has busted the the floodgates wide open for um anybody to get in there and voice your opinion and um and and take a take a genuine stance in a on on key conservative principles so I'm 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 happy to hear that you're running, and I'm happy to hear that you're uh, you're not part of this uh, establishment that's up there. Uh, so, looking at this this race that you're in right now, you're you're up against Bill Crosby, and and I'm sure he's a he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's a um, a, a genuine dude. Um, I'm sure you know if I met him, met him and shook his hand, he wouldn't be be rude to me or whatever. Uh, but some of the things that I looked at before we we got started today. Um, he, it looks like he abstained from some votes on the South Carolina Unborn Child Protection from Dismemberment Abortion Act. Um, he 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 made votes that same day when that bill was on the floor, but then he was yeah. a no vote during all of all of the the bills on abortion. Now he did he did um, show up for some key votes the year before on um, abortion past twenty weeks. Uh, but I, I I personally believe life begins at conception, so I guess that's not really good enough for me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know why he wouldn't show up for those votes, but, but he showed up for like bear hunting votes that same day. Um, I want, I want somebody who's a conservative man, you know what I'm saying? And, um, that, that I found that, I found that he abstained from some key votes on handguns last year. Uh, looks like last week he, he did not vote to expand the use of solar power. We're capped at 3%. I have no idea why he doesn't want to unleash the free market and let, you know, solar compete on its own against, um, these power companies and then last but not least we've been talking about the increase on the gas tax so this guy doesn't really sound like much of a conservative at all um is he is he a republican has he always been a republican um and how do you differentiate differentiate yourself from bill crosby uh, so i mean uh, like a lot of folks uh, in south carolina politics in the last 20 years i mean he used to be a democrat um back in you know the 80s and 90s which uh, you know, people change. So I'm not saying he's a Democrat now, but he does often vote with, um, which is disturbing. And and the the gun thing, and this is really, I mean, the final straw last year when I said, "All right, I'm just yeah, if I'm in a position to run next year, I'm going to run against him." Uh, this was after the, he voted for the gas tax, where it's a pension bill. Uh, like I said he missed several votes. Uh, when he was there earlier in the day, he just you know, just sat there and didn't vote uh, on controversial issues. But the thing was was constitutional carry, um, and it, this this the constitutional carry bill the House passed overwhelmingly last year mm-hmm. uh, was a watered down version. I mean, Jonathan uh, Jonathan Hill from Anderson had brought uh, a, a, a more robust uh, constitutional carry bill that uh, Chairman Delaney wouldn't let kind of the, uh, even come up in committee. So Jonathan, uh, this was for years, try, and people try to get to the committee, and Delaney just blocked it every time. So Jonathan forced a vote on the House floor to go around the committee and bring it straight to the floor. Now, this is a very controversial way to do it because it makes the chairman mad and it makes you know, the leadership mad. Um, so, I mean, Jonathan knew what he was doing when he did it, and it, and it failed. So, of course, Bill you know, voted against that. But So because of that forced vote that kind of put all the Republicans in the House in the corner to, to the point where they're like, okay, we have to pass something now. So they brought up this kind of a more, more watered-down version. And it passed overwhelmingly. There were four Republicans voted against it. And Bill was one of them. And Bill spoke on the floor 
Really? Uh, and I talked to him, yeah, I talked to him earlier that morning. I was up there in Columbia before the vote. Most of my, you know, I think most of the district would support this because it's Bertha County. I mean, we're kind of a, it's the most, arguably the most conservative county in the state. Right. Uh, and I, you know, a big, big portion of the county is very rural. Uh, it would be a, 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 it would be a big help, you know, to those guys out in the sticks or even, you know, folks around here just want to go walk through the woods and run across a snake or coyote or something like that and be able to carry a pistol on them without having to get the government's permission. Right. Just on a utility scale. Um, but he's, you know, he said, no, no, can't do it. And uh, gave me a bunch of reasons why I didn't agree with. But, um, yeah, he spoke against it, voted against it, and but it passed over well. Um, so that, that was kind of the final straw there. Um, I don't have anything against him personally. I just on a, on a on a policy level, I think his values are just very different from the district's values. Yeah. Uh, you know, the district voted overwhelmingly. Uh, President Trump in, in, in the you know, there hasn't been a primary since 2010 in this House race. So most of my research is about other races that the district voted on. So look at the the, the primary uh, in February, you know, a couple of years ago, and amongst you know, the in the district, it went about uh, it was sixty percent anti incumbent. So that was split about thirty five uh, about twenty five percent Trump, about twenty five percent. Uh, Cruz and about ten percent Carson. They were, they were the kind of anti-incumbent, anti-established yeah. people left in the race. And yeah. Randall already kind of dropped out. So sixty percent of the district uh, voted anti-establishment, and, and that was encouraging to me. Just recently here in Goose Creek, um, we had a mayor's election, and I, I didn't get involved in mayor's election after that. You know, who cares what I think? But the mayor had been in office for forty years. Mayor Hauser did a lot of good, especially the first twenty years. Uh, arguably did some good in the last 10 years and you know, the 10 years after that the last 10 years has you know made some mistakes here you know, here and there so it was a very closely closely fought election but the turnout was bigger than any mayor's election ever in the city history wow. uh, and, and and the mayor lost so we, Green Street's going to have a new mayor uh, for the first time in 40 years wow uh, so all this is important to me or, you know, all this information to me is saying People are ready for a change, and that's been the reaction I'm beginning outdoors. Uh, every time, even people you know, that know the incumbent, they have told me, you know, nice guy, don't necessarily give his votes, it's time for a change. That's, that's been the phrase that I hear every day when I'm out there knocking on doors is, it's time for a change. People, people start to catch on that we, something ain't right in Columbia. You know, um, taxes are going up, things ain't getting better, roads ain't getting better. Um, so that's, that's been over and over again. Wow, man! So you got a guy who's who's on the floor of the state house speaking against expanding our Second Amendment rights, um, specifically constitutional carry, where um, I think that's an issue of you know w- the government granting us permission to ha- you know exercise our God-given right. I, I think that's absolutely insane that someone in our party would be speaking on the floor against that. And I, I hear what you're saying, man. You're in a you're in a district where um, 60% of your district voted anti-establishment. And, um, this guy is, is just, he just, he just sounds establishment to me. And I, like I said, I'm sure he is a nice guy. Um, but he just, he sounds like establishment to me. And hearing about that record turnout in that mayor's race, 
definitely, definitely seems like there's a wide opening there, man. Definitely seems like there's a wide opening there. Sounds like you got a great chance in that race, especially with 40 years <laughs> Goose Creek. I, I, I bet some of that has to do with, with President Trump um, bringing in those anti-establishment sentiments. And even Cruz had the anti-establishment sentiments um, in 2015 and 16. And so, yeah, it, that showing at that mayor's race in 2016... That, I mean, that definitely that definitely makes sense to me, man. Well, um, how do you stand on some of the key issues that we've seen in the House over the past couple of weeks? Last week, we saw um, the House shoot down a bill to, to remove caps on solar. Um, on solar, I've talked about this on the show like a few times. Um, my, I mean, I, I, I really am not in favor of the subsidies that we see um, with solar. And, um, but I mean, it does help a lot of families and, um, so I'm not in favor of, you know, redistribution by any means, but there's just so many, you know, tax incentives and government benefits that these utility companies and power companies are getting. So, um, I think just any kind of choice is better than what we have now, better than the monopoly that we have now. Um, so I think like my, my thing is, is like, let's allow solar and let's raise the caps, let's uncap it. And, um, and then let's talk about the, like, you know, getting rid of these, some of these subsidies, at least scaling them back. Right. Um, so, I mean, do you at least support the, the, the choice to have solar and, you know, right now only 3% of people in South Carolina can have it. Um, I mean, and it's, and we're talking about putting something on your own roof at your own house. So, I mean, could, can we at least meet there (laughs) in the middle? property rights thing. Um, so I would be in favor of I want, yeah, lifting the caps like you were saying. Um, I, I don't want subsidies. I don't think subsidies are necessary. But lifting the caps uh, is one tiny little way to get around this monopoly. And that's primarily what I'd like to do. And I've even told, um, yeah, I spoke to a bunch of electric linemen a couple months ago they were concerned about losing their jobs. You know, guys work for SCNG and Scanna. Uh, the Scanna goes bankrupt. They're, you know, good, very strong chance they're going to lose their jobs. So I asked them, I mean, this is, uh, I said, this might not be a, a, a favorable position, but I'm just going to tell you, I want, I want a free market and energy production. You know, similar to what Texas has, where they, they regulate, um, you know, they, they regulate transmission lines. So, how much money? You know, how much money you can charge? If you know, Scanna owns the power lines. How much they can charge other companies to transmit that? But other than that, do you want to go build a, you know, a, a gas power power plant? Do you want to put uh, you know, uh, solar panels on a hundred acres that you got somewhere and sell that power? You can do it. People can have power from you. So mm-hmm. when you move to Texas, you get a sheet of paper. You, know, or you can go online and look at all your options to buy power. There's like thirty so different can- choices. Oh, yeah. Where here in South Carolina, it's been the opposite. We had no choice. Our legislator handed uh, these power companies, who, by the way, the electric and utility um, industry is being, was, <laughs> until this year, the number one contributor to legislative campaign accounts. Uh, wow. But they handed these, these utility monopolies the keys to say, you get to spend as much money as you want on these risky nuclear or whatever, whatever you want to build. Uh, you can charge people ahead of time, and if you get, you, 
uh, if you get in a bunch of debt from, from these building projects, we'll bail you out. The taxpayers will bail you out, uh, which we see the results of that. Right. This, is a, this is from a legislative uh, fiat that they, that they did in 2007, based on review act, and they're not going to repeal it. Uh, you know, my opponent on, was on that committee this summer to look at it and to come up with a you know, solution, but their solution isn't to repeal the Based on Review Act, it's just to tweak it. You know, they're going to they're gonna fire the, the PSC, and in reality, what they're doing, they're handing more power to legislative leaders, to the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate, to control uh, the utilities. So rather than freeing up the market, their solution is to give the state more power and individuals within the state you know, power structure more power over our over the utilities. Yeah. Which is the opposite. I mean, that is a, a Soviet-style response. It is. It is. And it's it, it's corporatism. It's corporatism. Yeah. When, you, when you see SC&G, uh, a power company, being the number one uh, campaign donor, you know, for all the, the state ha- – I mean, all the all the house seats that I've researched here locally – um, they're they're contributing to somebody, you know what I'm saying, and it's um it, it's it's influencing their votes. It, it definitely is influencing their votes. It wouldn't be a big deal if they you know they're donating money to them, and it, and it was you know they w- it wasn't influencing the votes, but it obviously is. It's something for something. It's quid pro quo. Um, I I like what uh, Freeman and and one ten said. He's talked about um ethics reform and and holding people accountable and you know requiring mandatory jail time for those that violate ethics reform Uh, he's talked about that um now i do have one more kind of issue to get to uh one of the the major issues that i think could bring in a lot more jobs to south carolina would be the medicinal marijuana issue um a lot of special interest groups have a big problem with that um a lot of um police groups a lot of pharmacy groups a lot of them have a big problem with that. Um, we haven't really seen much come out yet, as far as um, South Carolina passing any bills. We've seen we've seen the bills come up. It looks like they're considering something on the floor this morning at 9 a.m. Uh, pertaining to it. I don't really know exactly what it was. Um, none of it's good enough for me. I mean, personally, I'd rather see um, marijuana recreationally legal, so that people don't have to be scared to. Uh, you know, freely smoke weed in their house without, you know, being arrested. <laughs> um, I think that's kind of ridiculous, seeing as how a lot more um, deaths and and um, just absolute terrible things happen from uh, alcohol, which is legal. But that's a whole other argument. I mean, for the people that have epilepsy, for the people that struggle with anxiety, for the people that, um, you know, I, I have a, a family member who gives uh, CBD oil to their dog, that has seizures and it keeps them from having seizures, man. So it's like, it's, it's obvious that it works and that it's a good thing. Um, so I mean, how do you stand on it with the, the current bills that have come through the house? Would you have voted for them? Um, or, or would you consider, you know, writing your own bill yourself on it? So where do you stand on the medicinal marijuana issue? Uh, so on the medicinal side, uh, you know, we, we got 26 states legalized medicinal uh, use. We, we legalized CBD oil in a very limited capacity here. Um, and I, you know, I looked up in the state in Columbia last year. I was working for a Baptist convention. And this is you know, definitely a big thing on, on, the, on the convention's radar and on pastor's radar something they're concerned about. Um, because their fear is, uh, I mean, I, I can, it's a genuine fear in a lot of, especially on the, 
on the religious side of folks that their heart is they don't want to see more people get you know into drugs and that kind of thing. I think they have a good heart on this. Sure. And their fear is that it will become a gateway. Um, all the statistics though have shown that medicinal medicinal use of marijuana as prescribed by a doctor outside of California in the nineties where it was explicitly used as a way to, to go toward recreational. Um, everywhere else uh, has shown that it's not a gateway drug. You know, the people that use it as, as a uh, medicinally don't go on to use heroin. It's the people who are prescribed opiates, legal opiates now through a, through a doctor. Uh, those are the folks that are getting hooked on heroin. Um, oh, yeah. Just, you know, opiates are incredibly addictive. And that's why, and that's that's the epidemic we're seeing. It's not stemming from marijuana use; it's stemming from legal prescription of, of opiates. Um, and every city I've seen says uh, medical medical use of marijuana, whether it's from you know, the the veterans groups that come out for it, um, other other groups like that who have seen you know seen it work. We have parents every time there's a hearing up there. Their parents who brought their kids who have shown like CBD oil has worked to some extent with our kids. Um, if you know, if we had the full treatment, we think it would be better, and their, their quality of life would be better. Oh, yeah. uh, and I'm sitting there. I know people that get it from California when it's technically illegal, um, but they use it when you know, they've used anxiety you know, medication prescriptions and stuff like that. And nothing's worse uh, until they try this, and it works. Uh, and they don't smoke it; they don't, you know, light up a bowl. Um, generally, they you know, it's either a vape or yeah, even a, some of them even have it as a pill. Right. So that's kind of the objections I ran into on on my position there. Um, the, the objection that law enforcement consistently has is with you know uh, Jared, who's their lobbyist, is a good guy. Um, but the thing he kept telling me was uh, it's, it's, it's illegal on the federal level, which is true. But, you know, under, under the Sessions uh, administration and the Justice Department, they've made CBD oil. Uh, they've made it a Schedule One now. Uh, no THC or anything like that. They've, they've brought CBD back to a Schedule One. So technically, uh, according to federal law, South Carolina is already breaking the law by having legal CBD oil. Good point. Which is going to be uh, if if they started enforcing that, it would be trouble. So it would put South Carolina in the, in a in an awkward position, and our, our legislators would have to have some sort of courage, one way or the other. Which right. is um, um, so their uh, their objection that you know, it's illegal on a federal level. Where twenty six states started bucking the system, uh, in my view, uh, the federal government doesn't have really have any jurisdiction to tell people you know, constitutionally to even weigh in on this. Uh, I think that's you know, an unconstitutional overreach on their part to be even involved in anything to do with medication or drugs or anything like that. That should be a state-level thing. Right. Tenth Amendment. Uh, exactly. It's, it's a Tenth Amendment issue. and should be something South Carolina should be able to decide on our own. So I don't think that's a valid objection. Um, Using using on a medical level, I'm I'm fine with. I I don't love the way the current bill's written because uh, I looked at. I mean, this this was a big issue, so I looked at the bill pretty hard, and I talked to a lot of you know, talked to the sponsors of it, and even even some of the sponsors of it 
admitted, like, yeah, this could be better written to kind of you know, guard against some of some of the fears, whether they're founded or unfounded, of the people that are opposing it. So I think it'd be a better written bill. Um, you know, the, the current bill that's in there this year is is not going to pass. Just it, it missed crossover. So whatever they do this morning didn't really matter. Right. Uh, hopefully the bill that gets in there next year, and if I'm up there, I'd, I'd love to you know be part of forming that to make it more more uh, palatable. Um, to get something passed, to help, you know, legitimately to help, whether it's veterans, PTSD, kids with epilepsy, you know, people with anxiety, that medication at work, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Or any alternative um, for op- opioids, which is way worse. Exactly. <laughs> which, yeah, which we absolutely have hard proof leads, is a great gateway drug and leads to, you know, abuse and heroin overdoses and fentanyl and, I mean, just this whole list of, of atrocities. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a controversial issue. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Spartanburg and uh, the little part of Spartanburg where most of my family's from is called, uh, uh well, at least half my family's, uh, referred to locally as Dark Corner up in Gallonsville and Landrum and you know, right up above, you know, right under the mountains. Mm-hmm. It was called Dark Corner, one, because they didn't get electricity up there until like the 1940s. Wow. But mostly because it was it was the moonshining capital of the state, and that's where all the moonshiners were. And, and the law enforcement didn't go up there, you know, especially during prohibition. Uh, so I, you know, I, my my family, I don't know that any of them actually moonshot, but a lot of them grew the corn <laughs> <laughs> that made that moonshot. Uh, so, you know, my family, and anecdotally, I've heard stories from you know from my great grandparents on down that. Prohibition doesn't work. You know, they, they tried that with alcohol, and alcoholism didn't go down. Right. Um, alcohol related deaths went up. So, yeah, yeah, I think we're heading in a good direction. Um, which this is a lot of people don't connect this, but on the, you were talking about abortion earlier. Yeah, twenty six states have bucked the federal government through two administrations now. Well, really, three administrations. Uh, to go back to California. Um, but the federal government but federal judicial decision, decisions on the use of marijuana why can't we in South Carolina and other you know, states in the South who claim conservative values and claim to value life why are we so afraid to ban abortion when, you know, the fear of losing federal dollars is, is always the claim like, oh, we'll, yeah, we'll lose in court We'll lose the federal dollars. Well, Congress would have to pass legislation to, to cut those federal federal dollars. Right. The president would have to enforce that legislation to cut those federal dollars, and they haven't done that on any of these states regarding marijuana. Mm-hmm. Why don't we have the courage to stop killing babies? Right, uh, because we're scared we're going to lose some money. Because there's no political courage at all, man, for any of these wedge issues up there. And it's good to hear that you do have the political courage on the on the wedge issues, man. And I definitely understand where you're coming from. Um, you mentioned the the uh, the lobbyist that said that it's still illegal on a federal government level. And Sessions has been pretty hard on it, like you mentioned. So uh, we, we definitely are still breaking the law federally if you're using CBD here. Um, but Trump did signal himself that he's not going to go after 
um, uh, any marijuana, any states that have legalized marijuana on a medicinal or recreational level. He signaled that last week. Um, so that's now just now starting to come out. It's good to hear that he's he's Trump is coming out on something because I, I know Trump personally. If if he if they if you held him down, you forced him to answer. I think he would answer the same way you did. Um, yeah. That it's a, that's a state's issue, and that's what he said on the the campaign trail. Um, now, last question for you, Jordan. Uh, I appreciate the time you've, you've spent with us this morning. What bills, if any, would you look to introduce right away uh, if you were elected? What bills would uh, would you would we go down the abortion route? Uh, would we would we go to uh, de- defund Planned Parenthood here in in South Carolina? What would we be looking to do? What's on the agenda? Uh, so, as a freshman legislator, pretty much anything I I introduce by and large is going to get get ignored and I, I I accept that I don't like it so anything that I any original ideas that I come up with I'm basically just going to have to resign myself to push for several years before they're probably getting traction uh, but I would definitely jump on board you know uh, I think the personhood bill that we saw in the Senate was a, was good needs a little tweak needs some tweaks here and there about the life of the mother uh, type scenarios but yeah that's something I would jump on board with wholeheartedly uh, the funny plan parents goes back to uh, bucking the federal system you know, I heard a candidate is running against um, over the last couple of weeks has been um, touting that uh, it's we can't defund Planned Parenthood, and that's why she voted for the budget that, you know, this year. We can't defund, defund Planned Parenthood uh, through the state budget because we'll, then we'll lose federal dollars because of something President Clinton did. And it's Congress's fault not taking that out, which isn't untrue, but it's also our legislators' fault for not having the courage to stand up for it. So I, yeah, I would not vote for a budget that funds Planned Parenthood, whether it's through refunds or you know through the state employment, uh, you know through PIBA, uh, the, the benefits manager. I, I won't vote for it. Uh, the first thing I would write, though, like legislatively, this is kind of an in the weeds thing. Um, you know, we have these local option sales tax referendums all the time, whether it's you know a penny for the roads or a penny for the schools or whatever. Uh, down in Buford, you know, they've, they've fought them and won a couple of times. And up here in Dorchester County, they bought one. Um, they beat them. Well, every time I looked at the history of these things, every time that they fail, it's when it's either uh, uh, on a primary vote day, so like, you know, in June, when you're voting on the primaries, or in November. But every time these things pass, they're usually at a special election or in, a, in an off-year election mm-hmm. at minimum. Usually they're like, we're gonna have, we're gonna vote on this on like October twelfth. You know, county council just set some artificial date turnout for like two percent. Uh, we saw it in Spartanburg last year. Uh, the turnout for this for the vote, you know, raise taxes, uh, uh, sales tax in Spartanburg, ostensibly to pay for a um, uh, courthouse and slash city hall for the city of Spartanburg. Uh, that the whole county is not going to pay for, like six percent turned out to vote, so three percent of the whole county is going to raise taxes on everybody. Wow! Because this is in, in because it was an off year. It was a, the the people downtown were motivated because they were basically getting the subsidized city hall from the rest of the county. Right. So the thing I would do, I would I would want to 
effectively ban these referendums to either raise revenue or raise bonds and debt mm-hmm. from being held outside of a regular election date. So if, if there's not a, a congressional race, a countywide race, uh, something, you know, a November 12th type deal, mm-hmm. uh, then you can't have one of these special referendums to raise a bunch of money that nobody's going to show up to. Because they, they do it strategically. Right. Uh, and I, that's something that we're, we see a lot. Yeah, I, I don't want to call it tyranny, but local um, big government types they cloak themselves in conservative rhetoric and then turn around and try to raise their taxes. They Good use God. this strategy very effectively. And that's why in Charleston County we have 11% uh, sales tax on fair foods. That's dirty, man. That's absolutely dor- That's absolutely dirty. <laughs> Holding those special referendums to, as an excuse to raise taxes, man. Good God, that is ridiculous. Well, um, Jordan, this has been a great show. Uh, I appreciate you having having uh, having you take the time and sharing your views. Um, where can people find out about your campaign? How can people help? How can people donate? What's your website? So, website's jordanscottpace.com. Um, I'm on Facebook too. Jordan Jordan Scott Pace for State House. On, uh, on Facebook. Um, those would be probably the best two ways to find that information. Uh, this Saturday, April 21st, uh, we're having an event out in St. Stephen's, which is out in the rural part of Berkeley County, out past Mott's Corner. Uh, kind of a, we call it shooting for the State House. Uh, our, our mutual friend, Sheriff Ray Nash, is going to be out there. Uh, he's kind of helping me promote it. He's going to be shooting with us. Kind of a bring your own gun event. We're going to have some target shooting. Uh, it's free to attend. From 12 to 3. Uh, lunch will be there if people want to eat lunch with us. Uh, it's going to be catered in for uh, it's about $10 a person. And the uh, proceeds from lunch, you know, whatever we make over the cost of it, is going to go to help the campaign. Uh, we've got some prizes. We've got a, somebody donated an AR 15 lower uh, as like a top prize for the target shoot. Uh, so it should be a good time. That sounds fun, man. That sounds cool. That sounds cool. I'm going to check my plans on Saturday, see if I can't make it out there myself. Uh, yeah, we'll, that's where we uh, celebrate our Second Amendment rights. Since the incumbent isn't a big fan of it. <laughs> he doesn't seem to be. <laughs> well, cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. We'll have to have you back on before the primaries uh, so we can get the word out. Uh, but, yeah, man, I appreciate you having uh, coming on the show today. Uh, let's stay in touch. This is Jordan Pace. You can check him out at jordanscottpace.com. Dot com and check out his event that he's having this Saturday with Sheriff Ray Nash um, out there with uh, catered lunch, ten bucks. That's not bad, and uh, some some cool prizes for some target shooting. Uh, well, thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, thanks for tuning in to episode nineteen of the Conservatarian Podcast with your host CJ Westfall. We will be back tomorrow uh, for episode twenty. Um, thank you so much, and let us know what you think about the show. Always share and um, subscribe. Thanks so much. <laughs>